Hello, my friends, and welcome back to Farm Machinery Digest Radio. I'm your host, Ray Bohax, the hot rod farmer from Cat Swamp Road, and I want to thank you for spending the next one half hour with me. And as you know, we get together here on Rural Radio, Sirius XM, channel 147, every Saturday at 11 a.m. Eastern, with an encore or re-air of the same episode Sunday at 6 p.m. Eastern. And also the following week, it gets listed as a podcast at FarmMachineryDigest.com or most, if not all, major podcast hosting sites. So it's always there for you to come back and reference it as an educational content And that is what it's all about, right? Education. So what I'm going to do today is I'm going to have a show that's going to be a little bit different. And I'm going to explain to you a couple of things about electronic fuel injection. You know, as an aside to that, in our community here in Alamuchi, all right, so it's, uh, I say it's Hackettstown, but it's really the Alamuchi Township, the mail comes out of Hackettstown, is that we had a neighbor, we have a neighbor, a country neighbor, about six, seven miles away. Uh, it depends how you go. And they used to be in the vegetable business, but they, for the, like, geez, for the past maybe 35, 40 years, they've been re- maybe longer. They've been in the sod business and they raise sod and they have a very successful sod operation. And when my wife, Charlotte, and I were building our house here on the farm, I said to them, well, you know, I'm, I, when I get the house ready and, and up, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to you about a sod lawn. And they told me, don't put a sod lawn in. You don't want a sod lawn, Butchie. My nickname is Butchie because my dad's name was Ray. So everybody around the family and around the farm refers to me as Butch or Butchie. But in the business world, I'm Ray, right? The hot rod farmer. The people don't know who Butchie is. So he says, you don't want that. He says, what you basically do is you buy some contractor's mix and you put it down there, you fertilize it, do a soil test, you spread it down there, you put some you put some uh, straw over it, let it grow, he says, and then you just let it grow, you keep it mowed, you keep it fertilized and let the weeds grow amongst it, he says, and you'll have a beautiful farmhouse lawn. He says, that's what you want. He says, you're on a farm, you want a farmhouse lawn. He says, you don't want a sod lawn, even though I'm in the sod business. And he says, with a farmhouse lawn, he says, when did you ever see a lawn die during drought around a farmhouse? He says, hardly ever. He says, you could ride on it with a tractor, you could ride on it with a truck, nothing's going to happen to it. He says, you put a a sod lawn in, it's going to be a prima donna. Well, he didn't say that word, he said something else which I will not use on the radio. And so I took his advice, and we get so many compliments on our lawn that, as my uncle used to say, is just green cover. But when you mow it, and you mow it with that mulching blade, and you mow it nice and straight, it looks great from the distance when you ride by in the road. And when you walk up to it, you see there's clover, there's weeds, there's everything in it. But it is very, very healthy, and it is very, very durable. And that is what you want. So how am I going to bring this into fuel injection? Well, for the past, since 19, I think since 1987 or 1988 was the last uh, carbureted road vehicle that was built and sold in the United States. So we've had fuel injection now. We had only fuel injection for, geez, 35 years. 
So people have gotten used to it. And, is a, and there, there are young people who got their license who never drove anything but a fuel-injected vehicle. But just like that man told me, our neighbor, and I will not embarrass him by using the name, his name or his family's farm name, but I know some of you know who he is, right? A good guy. And, uh, and he told me, don't put sod down. So I'm going to tell you why you should not, not have a fuel-injected engine in some applications. Not every application, some applications, right? But as an aside to that, I had a long career in the automobile industry in the fuel injection segment. I was a test engineer for BMW, evaluating their fuel injection and driveline calibrations. I did work for Dana Engine Controls, and I did a, did work for Eklund, who owned the fuel injection uh, OE, original equipment manufacturer, a supply company. So I have so I have a long background in fuel injection. But just like the sod farmer told me I want a farmhouse lawn, I'm going to tell you why in every application fuel injection is not the right decision. So just sit pat during this short break. And I just want you to know that agriculture runs on machinery, but profits on reliability. All the viral songs from TikTok's For You page. All on one SiriusXM channel. The stories behind the trends. Presented by creators like me. Like me. TikTok Radio. TikTok Radio. Listen now on Channel 4. And the SXM app. Hi everyone, I'm Jeff Metters. I hope you enjoyed 100 rodeos in 100 days. We can kind of check the numbers. The truth was we actually covered more than 140 rodeos and more than 400 rodeo performances. And that averaged out to be more than 1,000 hours of live rodeo coverage. In one day, we actually covered events from 20 different rodeos. I would say that's over delivering. Of course, we had a chance to watch all the world championship races for 2023 Take Shape. Thanks for riding along for 100 rodeos in 100 days. This is Capri Cafaro, host of Eat Your Heartland Out. Every week we explore the rich yet often overlooked culinary depth of the American Midwest. Together we'll learn about the foodways of our region through compelling interviews with a variety of guests, each of whom highlight a unique thread in the Midwestern culinary tapestry. Tune in for Eat Your Heartland Out, Sundays at 7 p.m. Eastern on Rural Radio, Sirius XM 147. Rural is the roots of our nation. Sirius XM's Rural Radio. Western sports, country music, comedians. It's an attitude. The rural lifestyle and the ag industry. It's not just farming. We've got everything from hunting, fishing, and conservation. Horses and horse training. Of news, weather, and the commodity markets. Sirius XM, it doesn't matter where you are in North America, it's always there. They'll have it in their trucks, in their combines, in their tractors. To hear Sirius XM's Rural Radio, activate your radio now. Call 844-711-8800 or head to SiriusXM.com slash go to sign up quickly. Welcome back to Farm Machinery Digest Radio. I'm your host, Ray Bohax, the Hot Rod Farmer. And as I said in the opening segment, if you, ca- if you caught it or if you didn't catch it, all right, is that what we're going to be discussing today is why fuel injection is not appropriate for every engine that you will find on the farm. And I'm talking about gasoline fuel injection. Now, a quick little history is that there are a lot of parallels between a diesel fuel delivery system and a 
gasoline engine fuel fuel delivery system other than a carburetor. But years ago, there were mechanical fuel injection systems for gasoline. Bosch made a system. Uh, A lot of foreign cars had the Bosch system, German cars, some Volkswagens, Mercedes, BMW. Uh, General Motors back in the late 50s into the 60s had a Rochester. Rochester was the fuel delivery uh, division of General Motors. Rochester carburetor was called and they had a fuel injection system. And those systems were all mechanical. And then as time went on, they went to electronic controls. And uh, there was electronically controlled Bosch systems. And then the auto industry, back in the early to mid-80s, started to transition to electronic fuel injection. And at first transitioned, for the most part, through what is called throttle body injection. So there was half carburetor, half fuel injection. And what it, it had a throttle plate like a carburetor, but it had the injectors spraying over the throttle plate. So the throttle plate was actually bathed in atomized, broken into small particles, gasoline. And then they evolved into a port fuel injection system, meaning there's an injector for each cylinder. And then it actually evolved from that. And most, a lot of engines, they have what they call GDI, gasoline direct injection. And now at the same time, the diesel engines went from a pump line nozzle system, which was strictly mechanical, which was akin to an old mechanical fuel injection system on a gasoline engine. And they went into common rail and electronic control fuel injection. So that is where that parallel is that they were almost on the same lane on, uh, well, two different lanes on the same road on a, on a highway. Right. And then, uh, what had happened, well, what is what has happened, because it's nothing new anymore, how quickly time flies by, is that on there are gasoline engines that are what they call GDI, gasoline direct injection. And those are akin to like a diesel, whereas a diesel engine takes the fuel and injects it right into the cylinder. Well, that is what gasoline direct injection does. And like I said, this does those parallels, whereas older diesels had a pre-chamber where they would, uh, which was called indirect fuel injection on a diesel, and the fuel would be would be sprayed and administered into the pre-chamber, and it would, it would ignite there, and it had a passage, and, and the, then the flame would come out and expand into the main bore, and then went to direct injection diesels, DI diesels, which is everything probably the past 30 years or not, not or even longer, and they spray right into the cylinder right above the piston. Right on most diesel engines, there's no combustion chamber. The combustion chamber is in the bowl of the piston. So anyway, so it's like growing corn and growing growing soybeans. There's a lot of parallels there, but there are some unique aspects of growing each crop. Now, why did the car manufacturers? Because it's all patterned after the car manufacturers. Why did they go to fuel injection? Very simply. Uh, it was to meet emissions and fuel economy standards that were impo- that were imposed by the federal government, and that happened around the world. It wasn't just in the United States. So, it, um, I I really think that some of the standards are even stricter in Europe, and and maybe in Japan, but maybe they're not. They're, it's they're they're kissing cousins now. All right, that the standards are not that much different. So that was the impetus for fuel injection. 
because the car manufacturers needed to certify that their engines would run to a certain level of cleanliness, cleanliness meaning uh, emissions coming from the tailpipe, and then there was fuel economy standards, and that is much easier to achieve with fuel injection. So you say, why is it easy to achieve with fuel injection hot rod? Well, what happens is that in a nutshell, not to belabor it, is on a mechanical system, be it a mechanical car- a carburetor or a mechanical diesel or a mechanical gasoline injection system, right? It's very easy to control the emissions and get good fuel economy at steady state operation. So if you have, let's say, like an engine on an irrigation pump or on a generator set, it's considered steady state. It's running at one speed, right? The the most practical application of that is a a lawnmower engine, runs at 3,600 RPM, all right? So that's what its whole life is spent at that. So at steady state, it was very easy to achieve what the government wanted. But what happened was that the federal government the EPA started to look at a drive cycle test, which showed, which, which had transient movement, transient operation of the throttle. And that is where a mechanical injection system, both gasoline or diesel, or a carburetor on a gasoline engine falls short. So it goes dirty during, and I'm using that as a, we could do a 10-hour show on this, but... Uh, so the, the, the emissions go dirty during transient operation as you as the throttle is opening and closing. And, and the reason for that being is that the system cannot compensate till after the event happens. So the thing is, that's like you going in the field and saying, well, after my crop is starting to die, I'm going to put some nutrients on it, right? So the thing is that instead of doing a pre-citrus nitrogen test before the crop starts to turn color and saying, this crop is going to need need some more nitrogen, then another week or so as it starts to go into a different reproductive stage. So that is basically what happens is that with fuel injection, the response time was much quicker and on a mechanical diesel or mechanical, on a carburetor or mechanical fuel injected gasoline engine is that it was always, the bullet had to leave the barrel of the gun and then compensate for it. So that is is a simple, simple nutshell, all right? So that sounds all good, right? You say, oh, well, I want clean air, hot rod. I want good fuel economy. That's great. Okay, fine. Now, in engineering, we have an acronym called KISS, and it's keep it simple, stupid, all right? Now, you're not going to be able to get all of those controls, all of that ability to control the fuel accurately and also control the ignition timing because on on a gasoline fuel-injected engine, the ECU, the electronic control unit, some people call it engine control unit, it's all different names. It's the same thing. The brain, some people call it the brain. That's a slang, right? The brain is that the uh, <clears throat> the brain has to be very, very complicated to achieve this. It's not very, it's not simple. When you had a carburetor and a gasoline engine, it was relatively simple. And it worked off of Mother Nature, which the good Lord created. It worked on the pressure differential, 
between the pressure in the atmosphere, the atmospheric air pressure, and then the lower pressure region, which we call a vacuum, but it's any pressure that's less than atmospheric, in the venturi in the throat of the carburetor. And that worked under the Bernoulli principle. So whenever you go up on a plane, then the plane takes off, and the, the way the air goes under the wing is basically referenced to a certain extent. There's other aspects of it. I'm oversimplifying with the Bernoulli principle. So a carburetor made this pressure differential, and on a carburetor, the fuel was was not was was pushed and pulled through the carburetor. So the atmospheric pressure on the float bowl was pushing the gasoline through the different passages, and then the low pressure region in the venturi, the throat of the carburetor, which was caused by the hourglass shape of the venturi and the movement of the piston, created a low pressure region. So it was pushed out into the engine, and then it went and had a phase change first it was atomized broken into small particles and then it was phase changed and went into a rarefied a gaseous form all right and that is what would go into the cylinder and burn very very simple if if the pressure differential isn't there if mother nature isn't working anymore it's not going to start but we got a lot more problems than than that if mother nature all of a sudden stops working all right so now what happens like in most control circuits is that it becomes very 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 complicated to emulate what mother nature does what the good lord does naturally in his creation so just like it's very very hard to emulate and make a mechanical heart right or or, or to grow up create a plant or create an animal you can't do that so the thing basically it's very very hard to emulate that and but the same dynamics that have to happen to the fuel as it did with a carburetor or mechanical diesel has to happen electronically so that is the complicated part of it and that complication if we go back to the kiss method keep it simple stupid all right is where the potential problems lie so i'm going to have to go to a short short sponsor break right now and when we come back we are going to finish this Radio is the first and only national radio channel serving rural Americans on Sirius XM. Nowhere else on radio can you catch Western sports every single day, making Rural Radio the undisputed leader for Western sports coverage. Between our coverage and downloading the Cowboy Channel Plus app, you'll have access to any major Western sports news and events 24-7. Rural Radio Channel 147, the agribusiness and Western lifestyle channel. The Market Day Report is live every weekday morning, bringing you in-depth coverage of the latest in agriculture news and interviews with rural leaders and executives in the industry. You named RFD-TV the number one source for market and commodities information as it happens because we bring you the headlines, analysis, and weather updates that matter to farmers and ranchers across the country. So join us for five hours of the Market Day Report. That's weekdays starting at 9 a.m. Eastern, 8 Central, right here on RFD-TV. Amazon Ag Equipment is the top of the line for top growers and producers. Engineered in Germany, high precision, high performance, now in the U.S. and Canada. Big iron with fewer passes, less downtime. Amazon fertilizer spreaders precisely spread urea up to 120 feet. And Amazon tillage tools handle fall or spring all in one pass. Amazon, the name that others follow. 
Top growers. See Amazon.net. RFD-TV is the number one most trusted source for market information by America's farmers and ranchers. The rural Main Street Index is seeing a rebound. With long-term weather forecasts. This front will wobble back and forth the next couple of days. And expert analysis of the commodities markets as soon as moves happen. And it's it's a battle between the winners and the losers on the rain over the weekend. Catch Market Day Report and the Rural Evening News weekdays only on RFD-TV and Rural Radio, Sirius XM 147. Everybody, welcome back to Farm Machinery Digest Radio. So following along with the KISS acronym, all right, keep it simple, stupid, and the complexity of trying to mimic what Mother Nature does is why I feel that fuel injection does not belong on every engine on the farm. And I'm going to focus on gasoline injection, and what I'm going to say also holds true for diesel engines, all right? But predominantly, you're seeing this migrate into gasoline engines. You said this steel has or still has a fuel, an electronically fuel-injected chainsaw, electronically, all right? The uh, Generac has an electron, and probably others also, has a, an electronically fuel-injected portable generator, all right? There's a lot of ATVs and UT- UTVs that are electronically fuel-injected. I know Cub Cadet, along with other brands, these are the ones that I've seen, have electronically fuel-injected lawn tractors. There's zero-turn mowers with electronic fuel injection. And what basically happens is that because the public, and I'm an old dinosaur, right, because the public uh, has grown up to a certain extent and feels that they could, oh, they've only driven a fuel-injected vehicle, they think it's this panacea that everything is wonderful. Oh, oh and the salesman sells it to them. Oh, it's fuel-injected, just like your pickup truck, your car. You turn the key, no touch starting. That's what they used to say, easy. You don't have to touch the throttle, right, to set the choke, right? Uh, and you just hit the button on the lawn track they shall start right up fuel injection computer makes all it makes it adjust for everything well the computer don't adjust for everything because there has to be a proper algorithm in there and a proper calibration and what you will so there's a couple of pitfalls here that no one is going to tell you about and i'm not bragging but me number one is that most of these small engines that are fuel injected have have mickey mouse or very sloppy calibrations because there's i as i said in the beginning i did calibrations there's a lot going on with a calibration to make it work to make it happen and there's a lot of mathematics involved and it uses an algorithm all right and it the algorithm is the algorithm is has to be right if the algorithm is wrong and it costs a ton of money so somebody who's building a chainsaw like steel or a cub cadet who's buying an engine from briggs or from tecumseh or a honda they're not they're only going to be able to spend so much on the calibration the other thing that comes into play is that that the calibration is usually going to be sloppy all right well the average person riding a lawnmower know it probably not but it's probably not going to be as good as a dialed in carburetor second thing that's involved is that it is very complicated and now you are taking a simplistic piece of equipment like a lawn tractor let's pick on a lawn tractor right and you're complicating it with an electronic control unit now if you have an old if you not old you have a you have two 2024 lawn tractors all right and 
the battery is weak on both of them for whatever reason you have to realize that the electronic control unit on any engine i don't care whether it's on a combine whether it's a pickup truck lawn tractor what have you needs to have a certain threshold voltage for it to function for it to wake up and work and pulse the electronic injector all right the thing is that so if you're cranking when you crank an engine the voltage drops down all right on a carbureted application if you could get enough cranking speed to get that fuel into the cylinder and create that pressure differential in the inventory and light the spark plug it's going to run it's going to start and then the alternator will charge it on fuel injection they have a cranking threshold in the calibration and if the voltage is pulled down and it doesn't meet an rpm threshold and it's a digital signal all right so if it says it has to let's say arguably crank crank at 250 rpm at at 249 rpm it says no no charlie forget about it you didn't meet that threshold all right so it's a very very electronic sensor so we're taking something that was so mechanical and so reliable right and with no problems and we're adding all this complication to mow grass with to cut a piece of wood all right now the next thing that comes into like with a backup generator like with generac right a backup generator or a a portable generator irrelevant you're using that because the power goes out so let's say you have an electrical elect, electrical problem with the battery with the with the with the generator it's not going to start and make power so the nutshell here is that you're putting a ton not you personally the industry is putting a ton of complication with all these electronic circuits voltage sensitive ground circuit sensitive the right battery condition sensitive cranking threshold sensitive output sensitive plus you're having an electronic fuel injector that basically is a solenoid that has to build magnetics to be able to lift and spray fuel it doesn't care about mother nature a carburetor just carburetor say hey the good lord put mother nature there i'm going to be i'm going to be putting fuel into this engine to run and then add to it also that this electronics needs to all be brought in at a price point that the consumer will accept all right so for instance i'm going to pick on generac so they only charge a couple of hundred dollars more for their gp8000 efi version versus the carbureted version well you got to put a lot of components in there and then what they do is they make all of this stuff in a chinese job shop all right yes and it's the the resistors the circuitry has a lot of drift in it uh it's not done to military or avionic specifications there's there's three specifications that are the strictest in in electronics it's mil spec military spec for right for a b-52 right or a f-16 fighter there's a mil spec all right that there's that there's an avionic spec which would be like on a 747 and then there is a biomedical standard which would be like on a, a, a ekg ekg machine or something so the fact of the matter is and when you bring those standards to that level what you're basically doing is you're raising the cost dramatically i'm not saying the industry can't do it but you cannot bring a fuel injected electronic controlled engine to the marketplace and sell it for a hundred or two hundred dollars more than you would a carbureted application so you put this all together all right and you're looking for the the potential to have a lot of problems that a carbureted engine would not have 
ever, ever fall prey to. All right. So the thing is that, I mean, you could have like my my uh, portable generator, right? That has a rope start and electric start. You're not going to be able to rope start a portable generac that is fuel injected because it has no way to make that voltage for it to go and fire that ECU and fire and fire that injector. So it's very important. So listen, when don't fall prey to this. Don't fall prey to the salesman and say, oh, it's fuel injected like your car, like your pickup truck. Well, let the fuel injection stay in the pickup truck and stay in the car, just like I didn't get a sod lawn because the man who grows sod told me I don't want it. I want a farmhouse lawn. You want farmhouse ready equipment. Have a blessed day. Thanks for listening. The future of agriculture is coming back to Indianapolis for the 96th National FFA Convention and Expo. November 1st through the 4th, tune in to four straight days of live coverage from this unforgettable experience and immerse yourself in a world of innovation, education, and inspiration with farmers, students, and professionals from across the nation. The 96th National FFA Convention and Expo on RFD-TV and Rural Radio Channel 147. Stream the National Finals Rodeo with your subscription to Cowboy Channel Plus or tune in starting December 7th on the Cowboy Channel, the official home of Pro Rodeo. Hi, I'm Ty Morgan, host of U.S. Farm Report. Join me each weekend as we explore the news and issues that matter the most to agriculture. From taking a deep dive into the volatile markets to sharing compelling stories that capture the heart of rural America, as well as custom commentary from John Phipps. We cover it all every weekend right here on Channel 147 on Sirius XM. U.S. Farm Report, a timely, trusted tradition. Max Armstrong here, one of the voices you've heard quite a while on rural radio. I hope you'll catch the program we bring you this week in agribusiness. Join Mike Pearson. Meteorologist Greg Solier and myself, Saturday and Sunday mornings at 8 Eastern, right here on Rural Radio, exclusively on Sirius XM 147. This is country artist Mo Pitney, and you're listening to Rural Radio Channel 147 on Sirius XM.